Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally, voidware prohibited, must be 18 or older to enter, no purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. This is High Tea with Grace, where we spill the tea on HIT. I'm thrilled to welcome Lakeisha Landrum-Pierre and Nassim Sayani, partners at Emmeline Ventures. We are doing this very exciting new series, Fun Like a Girl, and I'm just so thrilled that these women could join us today. Let's give them a warm welcome. Hi, ladies. Hi, it's nice to be here today. Let's start and kind of hear a bit about the career journey that took you to your role today. Let's start with you, Nassim. Sure. So uh, I like to call myself a recovering consultant. I was in management consulting for 20 some odd years. Uh, I started in that career about 2007. So before we had iPhones in our hands and I was doing all digital strategy and innovation work. Uh, So working with consumer companies, media companies, healthcare companies to really figure out what this device and this engagement model was going to do to how they conduct business and how they show up in market. So I spent a a good number of years doing just core strategy work. And that led to actually launching a product studio inside of the consulting firm, because as much as our clients needed support on thinking about what and how and why, uh, they actually also needed support turning things on and building products and launching things in market and testing for resonance and all these things that we know so well now. Uh, We got to do, you know, 2010, earliest stages of really bringing products to market. And then that product studio quickly turned into a full startup incubator. Uh, and we were now building startup zero to one using client capital and balance sheet dollars you know, that we could otherwise activate to help them launch a startup that our thesis was, you know, we'll build a company that would have otherwise put you out of business. And that's where I spent probably four years uh, just deep in building startups at scale. Uh, and it was great. It was fun. I went from core strategy to product to tech to funding and fundraising uh, very quickly. All of that, though, in the context of consulting firms and venture and agency type services that don't have a lot a lot of diversity. There aren't enough women. There aren't enough people of color. There aren't enough intersections of those two things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I ended up being one of the most senior women in the building. I ended up being the beacon for diversity, leading the diversity initiatives, making sure all the women behind me had good careers, got promoted, didn't get affected by style differences in their performance reviews. Uh, And also 
got really got at a moment got frustrated right about not being in rooms that had more diversity or we weren't building mm-hmm. startups that were taking more inclusion into consideration and so that became the launch pad into wanting to build my own angel portfolio get more deeply embedded in the female founder ecosystem in particular uh, and really go after these sectors that there's so much opportunity to innovate and it goes well beyond core tech and B2B SaaS and these things, like we can actually solve real problems if we take some tech to things like women's health, to financial services for underserved communities. And so that became uh, really how I wanted to spend my time. And it led me to what we're doing with Emmeline today. That is so fascinating. I love your background. I'm so thrilled you're here with us today. And I know all of our listeners are thrilled to learn from you. Uh, Lakeisha, I'd love to hear from you as well. What is your career path that brought you to where you are? Thank you. Thanks for resetting me with the question. This is like, what, what's the question I'm answering? Before I answer it, though, um, yeah, isn't can we say things like badass? Uh, and it seems badass. Uh, we are all badass ladies over badass. here, so you can absolutely say badass. Yeah. I just, um, you can never hear. It, it is a good sign when you hear your partner's background, like more than once a day, which I... I can only imagine that. Like, you did what? You did that? I'm I'm still like, you're such a badass. Like, you literally just said this an hour ago. (laughs) And and it's still, like, amazing. Anyway, yes. So, um, my background, which I was actually just on another call talking about, I think, you know, for this audience, because we're talking about women, the way way I like to talk about my, my background is... I built, grew, scaled one of the largest digital media companies in Africa, West Africa in particular. And in the process of doing it, I was always the only woman in the room. I mean, like for in an industry like media, you would actually not expect that to be the case, but nine times out of 10, I was typically the only woman in the room. Um, but I successfully raised millions and millions and millions of dollars for this business. Um, wow. Raised millions of dollars for this business uh, Grace, at a time though when I didn't have the language that we have today, that Harvard Business Review hadn't written about uh, preventative questions, hadn't talked about how you know, as women out out there fundraising, you tend to be like kind of framed into the like, why are you here, and are you sure you can do this, and 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 what, here are all the reasons I'm not actually sure that you can. And so while I was kind of building, this was now ten years ago. I I built a large media company in Africa and under this premise that particularly in West Africa, the consumption of media would happen digitally. All of it was happening via radio and all of it was happening yeah. via papers. Mm-hmm. And, and everyone's like, y'all are idiots, right? We're like, no, no, we're, we're really, we really feel that this is where, where consumption of information is headed. We're the first mover doing that. What's really cool about that is uh, because we're the first mover today, we have over 50 million uh, monthly folks who engage with our content. And and not only that, we are, we're the largest. We're the we're who everyone knows in the marketplace. Wow. Wow. And what I love about that is for the women listening, we essentially had a vision for what the future would look like when there were no there what the data didn't exist. We're we're we are banking on what we're seeing as potential indicators, but we're like, this is where we believe the future's headed. And we're gonna we're hell bent on making that happen and building for that future. And so when you trans translate that to what we're doing at Emmeline, right? We know that 10 years from now, women will be in the positions of power 
that will allow us to unlock the level of like financial returns that people just aren't seeing or appreciating today. Today, yes, women are only getting 2% of venture capital, but we're actually looking 10 years from now, we're investing for that future. And if you're willing to have the confidence to, to bet and invest in a future that doesn't exist today, it pays off in spades, right? And and so to be able to kind of do that again has, is, is awesome because I get to take this experience being a woman going out fundraising for a business that people didn't appreciate and now kind of wish they did get involved in. Um, I, I get to now say the next wave of women who are doing that, we get to roll up our sleeves and support her. Mm, just love that, love that. And so inspired from you as well. I'm thrilled to have you on the show today. So I know there's plenty of collaborations between investors and researchers going on in the industry. You know, I'm wondering how can that be instrumental in advancing, you know, knowledge and potentially fostering collaborations that target and address any research gaps in women's health and, and in healthcare technology generally. Um, I'd love to start with Nassim on this one. Yeah, I mean, this is something we talk about a lot. Uh, and so we, I'll, I'll take you back through some stats that make this um, really tangible. So women's health as a category uh, is worth over a trillion dollars. Uh, in 2022, venture capital as a category deployed about $445 billion. 400 million of that went to women's health. That's 0.36%. Oh my goodness. So for a a category that's worth over a trillion, we're getting like the smallest slice of venture deployed into that opportunity. So that that's issue number one, right? And we have to resolve that. Problem. That's a lot of what we're running after. The other part is that from a research perspective and just grounding in what's happened, the state of women's health is there's a huge science gap, basic science gap when it comes to women's health. We just don't know what we don't know. And we talk a lot and, and women generally, right? That we go to the doctor, they don't listen to us, we're getting gaslit all over town. And yes, it's true. Absolutely, you're being gaslit, but more than 50% of the time, it's not happening intentionally. It's because the system just doesn't know. The data doesn't exist, the research doesn't exist. They weren't taught it in medical school. So they can't give you better information. And it comes down to things like the money that's going to clinical trials and the coverage of something like clinical trials, as an example. Up until 1993, women were excluded for clinical trials for about two decades. Two wow. decades of research didn't include women at all. And then if you put intersectionality on top of that, just even the, the smaller bases of black women, brown women, Latino women, whatever that intersection is, like is even less represented. And so we just don't have the data. So now women are participating in clinical trials since 1993. Still, we're only at about 25% participation. And again, the intersectionality problems exist. The other problem is that clinical trials as a category, uh, only about 14% of clinical trials focus on women's health and they over-rotate on fertility. And so we we still are so deeply anchored in thinking about women, it's gonna sound crass, as baby makers. We aren't spending enough time on the rest of her lived experience. And so yes, now we're wow. coming, right? We're coming into a future where we're living longer we are, you know, we're going to live to 80, 90, 100 years old. Our ovarian health still drops off a cliff at like 45 or 50 years old. So where it used to only matter for 10 years, because I only lived to 65-ish, now I'm going to spend half my life in menopause, which is why we're suddenly talking about it, because our generation is going to experience this in a completely different way than, than our moms did or our grandmothers did. So the research has to catch up. And so we're seeing things now like 
uh, Dr. Biden, the first lady, Dr. Biden's health initiative that's been kicked off. We just saw this week um, a menopause act got also got research act got put in front of Congress. One of our portfolio companies was involved in making that happen. These things are all happening now because we're demanding it. And so we need policy to happen. We need funding to move. We need research to close the gap. All of those things need to then permeate into medical school programs and how they're teaching women's health. And then it's going to show up at the doctor's office. But what's happening in the meantime is a lot of the innovation is happening with new telehealth solutions, new ways of getting care that sit kind of outside the existing systems because we can't go to the existing systems anymore because they don't have the information we need. So we're going to other places. So there's so many levers that have to move at the same time, but we're, and we're trying to stay as close to those things as we can, but these, they all have to run forward together. So many big problems, right? And so many big opportunities. So I'm wondering, you know, where, how do you start? (laughs) Like Keisha, I'd love to hear from you. Like how, how do you figure out what, um, where innovation is particularly needed and make that choice then to invest in that innovation? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm actually going to say very little and then let Nassim answer this question because what because what I know is that this is something that she's got a lot of thoughts about. We've we've talked about it. <clears throat> so the the essence of your question, I think, is like where do we where how do we figure out where the innovation's happening and where and where's the best Right, exactly. And um for I don't know, maybe today's the day that I'm like just singing Nassim's praises. We have something called um, the Founder Circle. So at Emmeline Ventures, um, we bring in all like founders in women's health in particular, but also just founders. Uh, This was an initiative. Yes, it's an Emmeline initiative, but it was started by Nassim. It was really, it was like her um, idea. And the idea was in order to be at the ground floor of where innovation's happening, it's not just the companies that we're investing in, it's everyone who's in the space building. How do we pull them into the fold? How do we know what they're building before they're building it? How do we get to the ground floor of where innovation's happening? We're gonna, we'll be there, we'll be where it's happening and we'll bring them together and build the conversations, build the safe spaces, et cetera. And, that t- and that's like the quick answer. But because really, I think Nassim, you've been at the forefront of finding where that innovation is happening and then creating the spaces for Emily so that we're there. I think it'd be great for you to talk about that. And then I'll talk about research. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, so Founder Circles is an initiative. Once a month, we have 70, 70, 75 female founders on a virtual call, share stories, share game plan, build relationships. And it's it's really good insight for us on, on what's happening. The the other way we've been figuring out where the hotspots are and where we want to start to deploy capital is we had to actually spend some time mapping out women's health if we stay with that uh, as a category for ourselves and map out her lived experience and decide what parts of that we wanted to get involved in and which ones we didn't. Mm-hmm. And that that took layering in how much funding is going there, how many companies are there, how much, what's the TAM? How much is it growing? And when we first did that, you could pretty much fill up, you know, from zero to 80 years old, and we'll go the other way, zero to 80 years old. Uh, you could fill up the whole middle with a lot of fertility-based solutions. There was a lot, a lot of innovation around fertility that was happening early on uh, in the women's health innovation experience. And we felt pretty strongly that we didn't want, we didn't want to invest in fertility yet. We wanted to make sure that we were hitting every other part of her lived experience before we came back to fertility. And a lot of the fertility also was solving for 
I've gotten now to a decision point on I want to have children. And so now I have these options. Uh, what that is in our minds, it's it's support and it's good and it's useful, but those are often band-aid solutions on top of insights we could have had 20 years prior to when we decide to have kids. And so we need to be involved in early development. We need to be involved in mental health. We need to be involved in hormonal support. We need to be involved in how doctors and hospitals are meeting women when they come in to have their children or come in for uh, pregnancy support. We need to be involved in what's happening uh, after she has children and when she's progressing into later stage life. So we quite deliberately went after the sectors that sat around fertility and we're looking at how much research is happening, who's talking about it, who are the founders, what are they building, how differentiated is it? Can they be the tip of the spear on what could change that experience for women in that life moment? Uh, and so we made a mental health investment. We've made a sexual health investment. We have two menopause investments. Uh, we have a cultural competency training program that's actually changing how hospitals will meet black women in particular when they come in to have their children. So oh, all amazing. of those things are wrapping around a broader view on her lived experience. And I think in Q1, we'll get a fertility one in the bag, but we, we've spent a year uh, looking at all the other parts of the system before doing that. So brilliant to put together the framework and then work within the framework. Now, Lakeisha, I'd love for you to talk a bit about um, research gaps <laughs> and filling research gaps in women's health. You know, how can investors support and promote initiatives to do that? And are there technologies or innovative approaches you're seeing in this space? Love the question. I I believe research is is the answer to so many of our problems. And what I mean by that, Grace, is that Outside, part of the advancements, and you're going to laugh, but part of the advancements in uh, male sexual comfort had to do with a lot of research that went into the Viagra and many other solutions, right? And so what we often joke about is just the fact that, that there just has not been research around women's health, not only just women's, not only just women's health, but women's sexual health, right? And so... Mm -hmm. <laughs> For us, we really believe that the unlock is is awareness, depth of like nuanced understanding of our bodies, of of our of our entire lived experience uh, around health, but not just health, right? So at Emily Ventures, we invest in helping women in particular. So we're game changing businesses built by women that help women in particular manage your health. That's half of our fund, but build our wealth, right? So there's wealth inclusion. And in financial inclusion. So for us, that means fintech, sure. But the other things, what else helps women build their wealth? Well, a better care economy, right? A more resilient care economy. Um, uh, so we're also investing in future of work, care economy, et cetera. And then the last one is to help women live in a cleaner, safer world. So when we think about research, <coughs> we're, we need research certainly around women's health. And the reason I wanted, the reason I wanted Nassim to answer that is um, Nassim was quoted in Silicon Valley Bank's most recent uh, women's health report that just came out. Oh, so, I just saw that report and I was so thrilled to see that there was more investment than ever. Yes, I did see your name now that you said Amazing. that. <laughs> so, so that like the the need for research around women's health, like we're we're there, we're having those conversations, but we also step back as think more broadly. And so when we go out into the market and we talk about the the promise, the financial promise of investing in women entrepreneurs. The reality is most of what you hear is that women receive 2% of capital. We don't lift the hood and say, but of the women that received that 2% of capital, tell me how she did it. Tell me when she did it. Tell me how did she perform? Yeah. Right? Can we take the conversation forward past this absolutely frustrating stat that 
quite frankly, and isn't even whole. It's not It's not even a whole stab. We, we just hear it said again and again and again. And so at Emmeline Ventures, a lot of what we're thinking about is the conversation that happens in at conference after conference after conference after podcast after small closed room that says women only get two percent of capital women only get two percent of capital we actually believe that if we can deepen and 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 add more texture to that conversation we can literally change the conversation that our entire industry is having around advancing women entrepreneurs like female founders can have different experiences if we have better research that points to the female founders who out are who are outperforming their market counterparts despite how much they're raising those aren't the stories that we're telling because we do not have enough research that's pointing to the success and the promise of, of female founders that's another huge thing that we are focused on and interested in um, because we think that that really helps to kind of push this this class of, of our, our the asset class, if you will, the emerging market for us is women. And so we want to empower her with research and with data that shows that she should be here. And not only that she should be here, she's if she is here, her business is going to outperform. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's that's a way in which we step, we we kind of you know step outside of um, just, you know, financial services or women's health or sustainability, which is where we invest and say, what is the eco, what kind of research does the ecosystem need so that we can change the things that we're talking about, referencing research that we don't, that we think doesn't exist. For me, the thing that I'll share is a big aha moment I had is when I was at NYU Stern speaking at um, a workshop organized by Rachel Brooks. If you don't know her, she's fabulous. She's brilliant. And she organizes this, this um, conference with some of the top researchers around the country who are talking about gender lens investing, who are talking about racial equity and 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 venture capital. And I'm like, holy smokes, who are you people? And why do we not know that you exist? Because I thought the problem was that the research wasn't mm. happening. The bigger problem is their research goes to white papers that VCs don't read. How can we bridge those conversations and like bring the research to better support the work that we're doing and to advance the conversation in venture? What role do you think investors could play in better advocating for this information to be more widely researched and widely spread? You know, is there something that investors generally could do better (laughs) to get this out there? (laughs) Yes. Share this podcast with everyone. Everywhere, everyone listen to that. If you're listening, yes, you're listening because you're listening, but now share this with all of your peers and not only your peers, make sure they're sharing it with their peers because the real need is for us as investors to have the aha moment and push back on the the preventative stats. You know, Nassim, you and I talk about preventative questions. These stats are preventative. Women only receiving 2% of capital. Oh, look, they received less. Look, they received less. Is that encouraging a woman to now go out and build her business? These are preventative stats. Can we now, can we have more liberating stats? Can we find the research that points to why she should be here, right? And so part of that is the aha moment that goes off for for investors to say, hey, I actually should not go out and perpetuate these really problematic stats. And if and if I'm going to mention them, I ought to push myself to look for data that supports uh, and, and that empowers women, right? Rather than suggest to them that they ought not be in this space. Um, so so my my to succinctly say it, if you're an investor and you're listening, reach out to Nassim, reach out to me, and let's talk about how we are working to advance the research conversation forward. And also push yourself not to go out and repeat all of those, the the preventative stats and look for stats that are actually promoting the reason that women should be building more and more businesses. 
Amen. Amen. <laughs> All of us that are listening in, not just me, I'm the first that gets to listen, but everybody else that's listening in is saying amen. I mean, women should not be deterred from getting investments to push forward their business. If women are getting investments out there and they're doing well and they're having better outcomes and we need to be pushing better stats out there in the public to make sure that women know that they can and will get those investments if they just push and work hard enough. Nassim, I'm wondering, the folks that you have invested in in the past, what did they do right? You know, what was, what did they have clinical validation? Did they really just understand the problem? Did they have a personal story that showed urgency that they're willing to just keep pushing things forward? What was it that really caught your attention? There, it's a great question. So there's, there's a, there's probably two things that become the real, maybe three, three things that really become the reason that we write a check. Uh, the first is being very specific about the problem that they're after. Uh, understanding it, like under being able to characterize it in a sentence or two, really describe why it matters. And so specificity of the problem you're after is important. There, we, we hear a lot of pitches. Pitches can be broad, narrow. Specificity matters. Here's what I'm building and why. The second is product market fit. So the, here's what I'm building and why. The market wants this thing and let me show you that they want this thing. So really having done some homework on value proposition testing, resonance testing, being out in market, talking to users, understanding the language they use for the problem that you're after so you can recast it into your marketing. Really great founders have been homework and time doing that. The third is founder market fit. That third one can be pivotal because we have a, there's a lot of great founders who are building great businesses who know nothing about the sector that they're in. And there's a lot of great founders mm, who are deeply steeped in the sector that they're in, right? So this happens in health tech a lot. There's a lot of great technology brains building solutions in healthcare. No clinical experience, no payer experience, no FDA, et cetera. It's absolutely okay if you have zero experience in the sector. What we want to see is that you've understood your superpowers and you have put the other superpowers around you somehow. It's either an advisory board, it's a co-founder, it's a strategic investor. So that if you're not coming to this category with clinical expertise, as an example, you have five OBs on your board helping you inform how you build this product. If you haven't done those things, it's very hard to get behind it because you're gonna run into hurdles that can be total deal breakers. Healthcare is regulated. It's deeply steeped in lots of wiring and you have to know how to navigate healthcare to build in healthcare. And so when we see those three things, right? They have, they've understood the problem. It's very specific. It's coming from somewhere that they can identify clearly. They're able to prove the market wants the thing that they after, they're after and they've got founder market fit in a good, strong way. That's great. We want to get behind those founders. And then we, of course, want to see financials and growth and all of those things. But those three big blocks end up leading the way in so many instances because you know they're after something and they can, they can point to it and they can show you how it's going to change the world. And they're the best possible founder to do it. I'm here for it all day long. Mm -hmm. Really interesting. Lakeisha, I'm wondering if you have anything else, are there any other je ne sais quoi's that you look for when you're making an investment that you know might be helpful for a woman leader looking to gain investment for them to know? You know, this may be controversial, so we may need to cut this out. Nope, bring it in. <laughs> but on like eight separate occasions, and that's not a small amount of the number of occasions. I have heard women entrepreneurs say, hey, 
female investors take longer to write a check. And then it happened again today. It happened. Last, it's like been happening. And um, there was like this sort of safe space of a room where this founder said that she was in the room with a bunch of investors. And I said, and they're like, like the mills, they'll just meet you and like write a check quickly. I said, women don't have the luxury of just writing a check and hoping that you exit. It's just not the luxury that we have as investors. We are literally proving out a point. Mm -hmm. And so we have to do the research to make sure and the diligence to make sure that we can get behind you and help you succeed. And so what I would say to, to female founders, just because it's like, it's a strange thing, just like keeps coming up, is like, just plan plan for the fact that if you if you're if you want a women on your cap table, it may take an extra beat of diligence. But guess what that means? When she leans in, this is not a passive check. When she leans in, it's because mm -hmm. she's leaning in and she's ready to lean in and help you build and succeed. And and I tell a story, um, and Asim, you can actually call me on the exact amount of time that it took for us to diligence our our most recent investment. But we're leading her round. So it's not, it, this isn't like, oh, we're just diligencing and then like we just fall off. It's like, no, there's there's a level of nuance and 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 conviction that we have to have because I mean, we have to return this fund. And not only we this can't just go bust and we just go out and raise another fund. Women just don't get that luxury. And so being here in this space at work, we are putting an extra foot forward, an extra step of diligence, and that is okay. And you want us to do that because we are here because when we get behind you, we're gonna make sure you succeed. And and that should be okay. And so if, if there's a word for women, uh female founders, you in the same way that you are not getting as much capital as you need. We have we are out here fighting to raise capital for you to write the checks into you, and so that means that we we have to be certain that we can get behind you and, and help you and help you win. And it's a little controversial, so I don't even know if because brilliant, brilliant. No, it's the type of information we need to have. I mean, all of us in health tech, right? We are so separated from what's happening in, in the investment world, which is why we need fun like a girl. We need to connect these founders, these women leaders that are running hospitals, that are running pay payer organizations. Like they need to know what you guys are going through and, and, and what to expect. Nassim, I'd love to hear from you too. Yeah, I'd love to add to that. I love that. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a really great take on what kind of the kind of feedback we hear very often. I think the, what also sits underneath that, and it's just an expectation, not a problem, but a, a learning moment is that a lot of female founders, and I, I tell them this all the time, it, the first time we meet them is when they want to pitch us and it becomes a very transactional experience. And so then it feels like it's taking forever because they're at the point of wanting to like close checks and get a term sheet and run like crazy. Whereas I just met you. And in order for so us true. To, right? That's and, so true. and when you compare that to their male counterparts, their male counterparts have been in rooms with investors at events, playing golf, going out for drinks for months before they transactionally pitch that investor. And I think the entire other half of the founder ecosystem has to get better at, just, and not better, but lean into the superpower that is relationship building that women already have, but we are not using it the way that we can, especially when we're founders. And so we're, because we're seeing our male counterparts raise money over a weekend and close their rounds so quickly, they've actually spent months greasing the wheels on those relationships before they get the check. We have to do the same thing. And, and and that's what I want female founders to start doing more of is 
get to know us, spend time with us, show up in LA when you need, when you're here and say, Hey, can we catch coffee? Because the more time we spend together as humans, the easier it's going to be for you to close the check when you need it. But if it's transactional, the first time I meet you, it's going to be very hard to get to a check quickly because it's just not our process. It's going to take three to four months. That's what diligence takes before we can write a check. That is wicked brilliant and incredibly insightful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I feel like we should write you a check for telling us that, both of you, for being here. <laughs> We're here, here for it. I'm here so, for it. <laughs> we're getting so much amazing information. So now I'd love to lean into your personal journeys and learning from strategies that you have put in place personally to be able to work your best and make a difference. You know, what are things that you do on a personal level? Do you prioritize your health? Do you have a hobby? You know, what are things that you do so that you can make sure you're the best leader possible for the leaders you're investing in? Oh, I wish this was an easy answer. I will say we, I, at least personally, I have to get better at it. Uh, I think there are things, you know, the dynamics of family and life and work and fundraising and and having children in the midst of that means that like it's it's complete chaos pretty much all the time and you'd have to figure out and what i've had to figure out is where my best working hours are and lakeisha knows this i'm a very very early bird i will get up at insane hours of the morning and i will work for two to three hours before everyone else is awake because it's really good brain time for me and i can get through a whole day of stuff in three hours in the morning before my kid wakes up, before my husband has to leave for work. And then if, if I get no writing done the rest of the day or I answer only emails the rest of the day, it's okay because I got all the hard work done early in the morning. And I think mm. I have had to figure that kind of thing out so that my productivity can stay where it is. The other thing is that I try as much as possible, uh, and Lakeisha's going to laugh when I say this, to keep weekends as sacred as they can be. There's always a little bit of work that has to happen. I'm of course on my phone, but to the extent that I don't have to sit in front of my computer on a weekend, I try to stay true to that because there's a whole other half of my world that needs attention and support on the weekends that that isn't the, this job, right? Uh, of course, we're running a business and you're working all the time, but if it means, you know what, I'm gonna put my phone down on Sunday afternoon and not look at it till tomorrow morning, I'll do that. Uh, and it just, but I have to consciously remind myself to do those things. Otherwise I will literally sit on my phone all the time and not realize I need to put it down. Uh, the third part, and this has to get better next year, is that I heard this uh, at a talk once and it was don't, don't compromise your non-negotiables. And that those, and then first it's identify what the non-negotiables are and then two, not compromising them. And so for me, those two things are working out and sleep. And this year I figured out, I think a little bit better how to make sure the sleep could happen. The thing I need to put back in next year is the working out because I know I'm pretty productive, but if I could get that workout in every day or even a walk outside for 45 minutes, my productivity would go through the roof. I'm just not getting that into the schedule right now. And I have to that's on deck for next year in a very big way because it will just change everything. Mental health, productivity, sense of stability, peace of mind, like all of that has to come. But you, ha I have found I have to identify those things and then I have to keep myself honest on integrating them. Mm -hmm. So powerful, so powerful. Like how many non-negotiables do we just let go, right? Just in the All in the, the hopes of advancing our careers or whatever, just doing something else when in fact the non-negotiables give us that foundation to be able to do that better than ever before. Um, yeah. Lakeisha, I'd love to hear from you too. What are some things that you do to work your best to make a difference? So 
this is going to be funny, but I eat grass, not like like wheatgrass, right? So like wheatgrass, I obsess over microgreens. I have like six microgreens that I eat daily and drink um, daily. I like to think of my body as a machine. And when I put the right things into it, it actually works really, really well. And when I crave Chick-fil-A and put that into my body, it doesn't work as well. I love to eat healthy and ever so often I just, I, I, um, will like make an exception, but my body doesn't feel the same. My productivity doesn't feel the same. Mm, This is so cool, by the way. How did you figure out Um, this that you feel well? Question. That's a good question. Um, I'll, that one I can't answer, but I'll think about it and then like text you an answer. Um, because I don't actually know other than to say that it could be like my grandfather actually, um, who was like a hippie in the truest sense. And like, um, would like go to the train track and get like pine needles tea or like put, you know, he, he was like a farmer and, and amazing, but also an amazing entrepreneur. And so like, I think it's, it's also in my, in my genes a bit, but like, I also am a huge fan. Like I take reishi, cordyceps, um, uh, reishi, cordyceps, lion's mane and blue oyster mushrooms, like basically daily. Um, my, my daughter's like, mom, is that lion's mane or is that blue oyster? I'm like, it's lion's mane. Right. So like we, we are like really big on what goes into the body because it impacts how the body works and how it functions. And because we have to be so high functioning all the time, I would just collapse. I'm not used to being on all the time. So I have no, if I'm like, if I treat my body as the sacred thing that needs certain inputs and that'll help it function better, uh, having done that has been really big. The other thing that I actually think is for everyone listening, because I'm not sure we're going to get everyone to start eating microgreens and wheatgrass, right? So that's probably a small sector of the folks listening that are going to take any interest in that. But what actually I think is more interesting is um, help. I don't know why we as women think we're supposed to do it all. I don't know why we think we should try mm-hmm. to uh, get help. I mean, really, I, I have a village and um, I was just on a call actually with one of our LPs and she said, it still takes a village. Now you just have to pay for it, you know? And like the thing that I would actually say is like, we cannot do it by ourselves. We ought not think we should. We should not push ourselves to. If someone has five nannies, don't you judge her. Do whatever she needs to do to get to what she needs to get done. Let her do that, right? We It still takes a village. And so what is more palatable, I think, to this audience, aside from my uh, obsession with what I put in my body, I think I would say like, really get help. Whatever that looks like, do not think that you ought to be doing this all by yourself. It's actually not possible and you'll blow. You literally will combust. You will combust. It's not possible. And so having, for whatever reason, have no problem having a village of support. Um, that and is, that's, that's why you've been able to be so successful because you have been able to figure out where you need help put help there so that you can drive forward the things that you need to drive forward. <laughs> it's pretty that, amazing. Part, I appreciate we're, you know, thank you. But uh, I think if anything, it's I've been successful in not collapsing. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, my, I've got a one-year-old, four-year-old and a five-year-old. They're all very young and very energetic and very demanding. And to manage for that and manage for um, my partner, who's also would still like attention squeezed in there somewhere. And then also what we're building with Emily, like it's just not possible without a village, right? And I think we just have to stop saying that women should be doing it all. If you could give advice to your younger self, what would that be? Nassim, I'd love for you to start on this one. What would that advice be if you could talk to your younger self? 
Oh, I'd, I think about this a lot, honestly. I'd, I think it would be trust yourself more and be bold in those moments where you wanted to be bold and you decided not to. And I say that because there have been so many, until recently, and I think in the last like 10 years, I've decided I don't care what anybody thinks anymore. I'm gonna go do the things that I wanna do. And I'm if the world is angry at me or somebody doesn't like it, like the judgment that comes from people who don't understand what you're after, like I'm like, it's fine, park it. I'm gonna continue to run. Uh, but I think when I was when I was in my early consulting career in particular, there were these so many moments where I was like, you're in a room talking about ideas or talking about opportunities or what the implication of the data is. And more than once I had an answer in my head and I hesitated. And then somebody else said it and they were like, oh my God, that's it. And I was like, I was thinking that 10 minutes ago and I didn't say it. And and I should have been better and more confident in saying it in that moment and not hesitating. Because who knows like how much faster or different the career would have been if I had just trusted my gut in those moments more than I did at the time. The other part of that was, and I've got two things maybe. So one is trusting your gut and, and being bold in moments where you feel like you want to be bold. The other is our gender is a superpower that we don't fully appreciate until we're grown up. And and I think we need to appreciate it when we're younger because I didn't understand the power that comes in how women communicate and how we collaborate and how we build teams and how we build relationships because you grow up in worlds where you have to be like the dudes and you have to show up like they do in order to do well. And we, we leave behind all of the great superpowers that we have that actually can help us in those instances in ways that we haven't really tried yet. And so realize the superpower of your gender earlier and and leverage it because you're going to build relationships with other women and other men, potentially clients and customers in ways that your male counterparts simply can't. And that's okay. They have their own superpowers, but we haven't been activating ours as well as we could when we're young. We figure it out in our forties and then we're like going crazy. We should be doing it in our twenties as well. I feel so empowered right now. So thank you for that. I'm taking all of that advice now for myself. So just, I appreciate the generosity of you being vulnerable and being willing to share those things with us. Honestly, all of us need to practice that more and share this with one another. Um, what we wish we did better and help us all just thrive in what makes oh. us special. Uh, Lakeisha, I'd love to hear from you now too. What are things that you wish you could have told your younger self? Um, I'd say, you know, looking back at my younger self, um, it's something you alluded to, Nasima, one of our calls about like how we're conditioned, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I would just mm -hmm. like, I would just probably, I, I would say, girlfriend, that's not your, those are not your thoughts. They're not your, they're actually not yours. They're suggested to you by a society that maybe doesn't, understand you, love you, appreciate you, like those actually aren't your thoughts. So give them back. Right. I think, and that's something that I'd probably like so many of the things that I, the thoughts I've worn and kind of put on and embodied were not even my own. They're not true. I am good enough. Right. But I had to kind of power through to figure out maybe, maybe just maybe I am good enough. And I think so much of that has to do with that sort of external conditioning. And so like to the people who are, it's actually to all of us, regardless of where we sit on our, on the sort of age spectrum, the reality is we have to like, really, really interrogate some of the thoughts that we think are our own and question where they came from and if they're even at ours and then give them back. 
Our thoughts are so powerful. You know, they are like a sword and they'll either benefit us or tear us down. And you're so right. So many people don't think, what are the thoughts that are, I've been conditioned to think, and what are the thoughts that actually serve me, you know, and are actually true to the situation? Super impactful. I don't think we have a real appreciation, Grace, for like when we are young, we're, we're like a sponge, right? And so we don't quite understand that we're just kind of taking it all in. And then your kind of knee-jerk reaction or your knee-jerk thought or your knee-jerk thought to situation, so much of that actually isn't you doing the internal generative work of generating thoughts that, you know, you ought to be thinking. You're just kind of taking, you're absorbing what's around you. So like, you know, I'd probably say generate your own thoughts. You know, what do you want to believe and and more things like that. Oh, I love that. I just love it. So uh, to finish this conversation off right, where can our listeners find you online? Lakeisha, I'll have you start. Okay. So where can you find us? Make sure you find us. So that's the first response, find us. And you'll find us, the best place to find us, honestly, is on LinkedIn. But we do have a website. Everyone has a website, so emmelineventures.vc. But find us on LinkedIn. And like, I would say I can speak pretty confidently for Nassim, myself, and Azine. We're pretty responsive on, on LinkedIn. But like, actually follow our page. Like, find us. Find us. Engage with our content. We are very, very active um, in the ecosystem. So we're going to be at events. We're likely hosting events. We're likely having conversations like we're having today. Find us, ping us, invest with us. If you are investing, invest with us. We are unlocking a huge opportunity. Do that. Reach out to find out how to do that. Uh, build with us if you're a founder and you want to get involved. Find out about the our founder circles via Nassim, who, who posts about it a good deal on her LI. And, um, and then, I mean, right? What else should we do, Nassim? Those are all great. Perfect. The the one thing I'll add on, uh, if you're a founder and you want to talk to us, uh, we have a pitches link on our website. You can submit your company and your pitch deck and all the things through there. What I will tell you is a funny trend that I've seen because all of it comes into uh, into our deal flow channel that I manage. Uh, is for if we get a we get really great inbound. We start there. However, for every one female founder that submits, I get two male founders who also submit, and. And it's crazy because they haven't read the website. They don't know anything about us. Every one of the emails says we're a perfect fit for Emily Ventures. They've read nothing, right? And so part of part of it is like it's frustrating. But the the lesson in it, and this goes back to how women are showing up and how we communicate vision, et cetera, is don't wait to be perfect to reach out to investors, right? Don't wait until you have every single detail. If you want to get to know us, submit it now, get into the pipeline because your male counterparts are putting their pitch decks everywhere, even if there's no fit. What we tend to do as women is we have to be 200% perfect before we'll even open the conversation. It's okay if you're at 50 or 60%, just submit it everywhere you could submit it so that you meet as many people as possible. Do not let perfection get in the way of relationship building. And so use the pitches link and make sure we know what you're doing and that you're out there. Responses may not be perfectly timely because we're dealing with a lot of inbound, but know that we are looking at everything. Uh, but I just, I need that ratio to change. I should be getting four female founders for every two male founders. And like the men can keep submitting because that's the, that's the protocol, but I need more women to submit. We need that ratio to switch. That's terrific. Truly terrific and very great advice. So before I forget, did you happen to bring tea with you today? And tell me a little bit about your mug or your tea that you're drinking. So 
I have a mug. It's from an event I went to last year called Camp Hustle, which Hustle Fund puts on every year. And it's an incredible day in the mountains outside of San Francisco with founders and funders like in casual clothes talking about innovation. So if you ever get to join, please do that. It's also a nice, really big mug so I can get a serious cup of coffee in in the morning. So it's great. I love that. And Lakeisha, tell us about your mug. Well, I've told you a little bit about my mug. Given your question, how it has your greens in it. Yes, it's your mason jar with greens. Aha. Mason what greens do you have today? So um, we've got wheatgrass, pretty much swear by wheatgrass. This also has, like I mentioned earlier, it's got the reishi, cordyceps, lion's mane. Um, it's got another um, mushroom I'm blanking on. And then it's got all the delicious things, right? It's got like kiwi, it's got spinach, it's got oranges, it's got, it's like, it's a little bit more citrusy today just because I um, I got hit with, with my kids' uh, super flu. Um, so just this is, it's got a little bit more citrus and vitamin C than usual, but it is delicious. And if I had the time, my side hustle would be making these juices so that people can consume them. Um, so yeah. I just love that. Well, thank you so much. I appreciated you both for joining us today. Just having oh, your insight great. here is so invaluable. And I'm really grateful that you took the time out of your day to do it. Thank you for having us. This was fun. These conversations, they're important. And the more that we have them, the more change we can make. So thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. This was so great. Agree. Nassim, it was a lot of fun. And thanks to you all for joining us too. Check out the Hit Like a Girl podcast website and YouTube page for more great guests like these wonderful women today. Cheers. Like a Girl Media is more than a media network. It's a community. We want to meet you and amplify your voice and the voices of outstanding women innovating in healthcare. Interested in starting your own podcast or hosting an event near you? Connect with us online or in person. We're here to support and empower you. 